0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired man who is not a shepherd and whose sheep are not his own, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf catches and scatters them. This is because he works for pay and has no concern for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know mine, and mine know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. These also I must lead, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. The Gospel of the Lord. The man whose memory we celebrate today, St. Charles Borromeo, made a decision early in his life that he would prefer to be available for the service of the church rather than simply husbanding the wealth of his rather significant family. and. It was on the occasion of the untimely death of his older brother, the heir, that he made his final decision to become a priest. And that was a remarkably bold move because he was now the heir. He was now the one set to inherit the title, the lands, the wealth of his family. He was the one now on whom? Mom and dad had placed their hopes for the one who would carry the name and the legacy forward. And remarkable as it was, it was at that moment where everything that the world had to offer was now going to be his. That he said, but I must belong to someone else. And that's not merely a private decision to follow Jesus. That's also saying I must belong to the church and that I will lay aside the wealth of the world for the sake of the flock of the Lord. What a remarkably bold gesture. It was not long after his ordination. In fact, it was a matter of several months only that he was named a bishop. That's what happens when your uncle is the pope, I guess. However, levity aside, levity aside, he was named a bishop because of his considerable talent, his considerable ability at a moment the church needed those things. Not to simply care for a diocese. Rather, Charles Borromeo was the one who was absolutely influential in restarting the Council of Trent, of insisting that we can't let the work of reform go un finished. We must finish what we've started because the people of God need it. And so at an age of great confusion, the height of the Protestant Reformation, that one who was more instrumental than any other in terms of moving the Council of Trent forward and to its conclusion was Charles Borromeo. And If that was all of his legacy, that would be more than enough. That would be heroic enough for many. But after the council, he returned to his diocese in Milan, Italy, and immediately began implementing the reforms there, beginning with his brother bishops and his priests. His point being that we cannot call our people to reform unless we show the people what reformed living is all about ourselves. And so as bishop, he chose to live in something close to religious poverty. He chose to simplify everything that he might be available, and he expected the same from his clergy. And it was a remarkable movement, the insistence of this bold pastor that it does no good to call others to reform if one has not reformed first himself. And here we see the brilliance of that perspective which says the church is always in no small measure in the process of being reformed. That's not merely a juridical statement. That's not nearly a, merely a statement about changing structures and the way we do things. It's about the importance of recognizing that the heart, the believer's heart, is always in need of some kind of renewal, some kind of reform. And that before structures can be changed, it is better that hearts are changed. That was a difficult message for many to receive because the simple fact of the matter is, it's a lot easier to complain about structures. It's a lot easier to complain about policies. It's a lot easier to advocate how everything should be different without ever attending to the question of our personal character. And Charles Borromeo would not let either his clergy or himself, or the people entrusted to his care, off with those easy excuses. Character matters, he said. Your character matters. The character of leaders matters. The character of those who serve matters, and it matters more than the works or the policies or anything else because that's what makes goodness permanent. And so it was then that he dedicated himself to this, and in such a powerful way, that when the plague hit his diocese, and the nobility left, and the administrators left, and even lamentably many clergy left, he left his house. And he went out among the sick. And he organized the daily feeding of thousands who could not care for themselves. And then he entered the wards where the sick were gathered in great numbers in the middle of the plague. And he prayed with them. And he personally anointed them, because the flock needs its shepherd nearby. Placing himself at considerable risk in doing so. Others fled, and his running was in the opposite direction. He didn't flee the plague, he ran toward the needy. He ran toward the sick. He ran toward the afflicted and said, my place is here. And he challenged his clergy to come and join him. What a remarkable image this is. The bishop who doesn't first send somebody else, but the bishop who arrives himself. The shepherd who is not the hired man that Jesus speaks of in the gospel today, who when the wolf comes, when danger presents itself, when inconvenience rears its head, makes an excuse not to be present, but the one who says, then that's where I need to be. Because if the wolf is threatening the sheep, the shepherd needs to be there. He died young, accomplishing all of that by the time he was 46 years old and passing away. And yet when one lists the the accomplishments of this individual, one thinks it's enough for three or four lifetimes. And note how remarkable that is. We who often think a good life, a full life, is a long life. And this man, who began serving so young, who served so fully, And so well and so effectively shows us the opposite. It is not the number of years. It is not the length of days that is the measure of a full life. It is the quality of the living. Character matters. Goodness matters. And that life founded on Goodness, that character founded on Jesus Christ will live more fully in a few years than a life founded some other way could ever hope to live if it had a thousand years. What a remarkably beautiful and compelling example. Small wonder then, though, having heard all of this, that over in Port Jefferson we have a hospital named after. St. Charles Borromeo, that's the mysterious Charles after whom the hospital is named. That holy and dedicated bishop who said, if my people are sick, my place is with them. How absolutely, absolutely marvelous. small wonder, then, the church takes this gospel reading from St. John on his feast day the image of the lord as the true and the good shepherd and the image of the holy bishop the great pastor who shows forth that face of jesus christ the good shepherd who lays down himself who lays aside his wealth who makes himself available not merely for his private encounter with the Lord, but precisely for the care of the flock. His spirit was the opposite of the spirit that St. Paul warns us about in our reading from his letter to the Philippians. A reading today that begins with a shockingly bold statement that we would have to criticize if it were not for the fact that Paul is so remarkably holy. Notice how he leads? Be imitators of me! (laughs) That's usually the last thing we want to hear any of our ministers say. Although it is remarkable the number of times ministers will basically say that. Do it like I do it! And yet, know what Paul says. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Jesus Christ. In other words, don't look to me because I'm such a great guy. Rather, I know this. I can show you the example of what it means to try and be like Jesus. Jesus. And so, as you're looking around in the world that surrounds you, you will see imitators of many things. You will see the petty strong men of this world. You will see the self-indulgent wealthy of this world. You will see those who push themselves forward seeking after status you will see the many who simply can't be bothered and want to be left alone. St. Paul is saying, don't imitate them because there is nothing there worth imitating. If you're going to imitate somebody you see, imitate the person who at least is trying to be like Jesus. What an important statement that is. Because we surrender to so many other examples, don't we? It's amazing we begin thinking in terms of the last voice that filled our ears. We are shaped by what we see on television or listen to on the radio. We surround ourselves with indifferent and even bad examples. And what do we do? We all make our peace with one another and conform ourselves to this lesser standard or conform ourselves to a standard that is simply unhealthy and bluntly put the enemy of the gospel, however Christian the language that is used as window dressing around it. And so now St. Paul says, be very careful with that. Because if you look at the world around you and if you look at those false believers, those whose Christianity is merely a pretense, merely a mask, you will see that, know what he says, their God is their belly. What a remarkable statement that is. And we sit there and say, well, that's pretty stupid. Who would worship his belly? Oh, pretty much everybody does at some point. He's saying, they worship not the God of heaven, they worship their own comfort. They worship their own pleasure. They burn incense at the altar of self-indulgence and self-satisfaction and not being inconvenienced. They burn incense at the altar of just leave me alone. They say their prayers before the idol of, I can't be bothered, let somebody else do that. They offer sacrifices at the altar of, if it's inconvenient to me, I'm not interested. Notice here that Paul is not naming what we would consider the great sins, but he's naming a fundamentally death-dealing attitude that can live in the heart. But it's that kind of death-dealing attitude that is particularly dangerous because of the way it numbs us with a certain satisfied good feeling the way it encourages us not to look to anything that might wake us up and call us forward. And he says, whatever you do, do not give in to that. Imitate one who is trying to imitate Jesus. And why? Because when we do that, we recognize that Jesus comes to call us out of our self-indulgent self. Jesus calls us out of our false sense of security that lets us make peace with our wickedness, peace with our viciousness, peace with our indifference for the sake of actually truly living. Paul is pointing out Those who numb themselves in the pleasures of this world, who surround themselves and dedicate themselves to seeking after the things of the world, are dead men walking and they don't even know it. Character matters. Note how our readings keep coming back to this. Character matters. And character in no small measure begins with a decision. Which example will I follow? What rock is the rock upon which I will found my life? And we want to get that right. What an important and challenging set of readings to have before us as we gather in the middle of a context where we are praying for our dead. For our brothers and sisters who have gone before us And who, like us, in their lives, often made those unhealthy forms of peace with the things and the attitudes of this world. Who, like us, had hidden forms of pride and selfishness that they perhaps never recognized. Who, again, because faith is inconvenient on a regular basis, may have made that decision, I know I need to do it sooner or later and I'll get around to it. And sooner came before they were ready. And so we pray for them. We pray for them as we gather over these days that the lingering traces of that idolatry of complacency, that idolatry of pleasure and worldly concern be taken from them so that they might be able to go unencumbered into the full joy of the kingdom. And as we recognize that on this day where we remember the powerful and compelling example of St. Charles Borromeo we make it a point to pray for clergy who have died, especially bishops, but for all of those who as shepherds in some way failed to show forth the face of the good shepherd and who likewise, perhaps, for the sake of convenience, for the sake of keeping themselves safe, held back from the flock the full care it deserved. We pray for them today, too. And it's important that we do that. But how wonderful it is that we are given these readings in this context, not just of our reflecting upon ourselves, but of our prayer for those we care for. And note how beautiful it is that the good shepherd, Jesus himself, allows the members of his flock to participate in the way he cares for his sheep. And we recognize he cares even for those sheep who have passed away. And our prayers on this day are part of that care.